Hey everybody, welcome to episode 19 of Craven Craven, the podcast about all things Wes Craven. My name is Patrick Bromley, one of your hosts, joined as always by my co-host and horror BFF, Heather Wixen. Hi, Heather. Hello, Patrick. Are you ready to talk Scream 3? I am 100% cotton right now. I am I am pumped. <laughs> I feel like you I were born ready. for this podcast. Oh, this is going to probably be the one that's going to be like the test of our horror BFF status, isn't it? I mean, not really, but yeah. <laughs> You're like, no, but definitely yes. <laughs> uh, Scream 3 from the year 2000. Here is the synopsis that some Joker wrote on IMDb. A new film is currently in production and a killer is on the loose. The... <laughs> <laughs> the murders. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm just reading this for the first time. The murders draw a reporter, ex-cop, and young woman to the set of the movie inspired by their life. Doesn't even mention Gail, Dewey, or Cindy. Or Cindy. Why they would you? They soon find out that they are dealing with a trilogy. And in a trilogy, anything can happen. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Mike. Mike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love it. Reporter, ex-cop, and young woman. Yes, that is that is the 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 crux of the screen movies as a whole. <laughs> so, what do you get when a, when, a, when a reporter, an ex-cop, and a young woman walk into a bar? Mm, you get Scream Three. Scream Three, baby. Um, can, can I just be really old, really quick? But when you said in the year two thousand, oh, you almost it literally did the song. Said, I almost did the Conan thing. Yeah. In the year 2000, when there that actually is. sounded like far away, and boy, <laughs> now it sounds even farther away because it's the past. I know. Ugh, I'm old. We are old. Um, oh, that's true, yeah. You should go first on this one. What was so, like... <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the first time you saw Screen 3? Did you love it? Uh, yeah, opening night. I was there. Um, yeah, I, you know, like like the like the other screen movies before and after. Um, you know, I was there opening night. Um, I, I want to say I feel like this was like in like around Valentine's Day. I'm looking really quick. Yeah, it was February 2000. Okay. Um, which is sort of a strange time. To open because like they sort of like scream one was December. I mean, I guess they've, they've just sort of done it when they've done it. Um, 
But yeah, I actually, <laughs> I, I now remember, I actually remember that was like uh, my ex's birthday uh, is around that time. And I think I remember like we were supposed to go somewhere for that weekend. And I was like, oh, no, 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 it's great. Uh, <laughs> um, I was like, it's great weekend. We, I can't go anywhere. Um, but yeah, I, you know, look, I know we're going to get into all of it. I know I, it's, I've been beating this drum for 22 years now, um, but I genuinely love Scream 3. Do I think it's as good as Scream 1, 2, or 4? No. But it's still an 8 out of 10 for me. And an 8 out of 10, really? Oh, hell yeah. I Look, I know. I, I get it. It's the, the Aaron Kruger factor. I don't... Like, to me, honestly, like... And we talked about this a little bit um, offline about, like, something about, like, Scooby-Doo and things like that. Um, to me, this feels sort of like a really sort of elongated adult Scooby-Doo episode in a way. Because you have, like, sort of this cast of characters. They have to, like, come together into this weird area, this time being Hollywood. Um, I, I don't have the issues with this movie that most people do. And honestly genuinely pisses me off when most people's biggest criticism over the movie is Gail's bang. Which to me, I'm like, if that is your, your measuring stick for a movie, like, then you were never going to like this movie anyway. Right. And frankly, I'm over it. I get the jokes. Oh, she has bad bangs. You know, <laughs> David Arquette has already taken credit for that. That was his idea. He's already apologized for it multiple times. Oh, I don't Let's think I've heard on. this. What does that mean? That was his. He said you should you should have bangs. He he wanted he, he was his idea like shortly before they went into production that he thought she should cut she should do Betty ba Betty Page bangs. Okay. And so he basically encouraged her to cut her bangs like that, and then that happened. <laughs> And he even she, said, I think it was like right before Scream 2022, he was like, because everybody was bagging on Scream 3, and I think at some point, Gail's bangs almost might have been trending on Twitter oh boy. to some degree, because he literally was like, guys, stop picking on Courtney. That was all my idea. You know, stop making fun of her. <laughs> and they're like divorced, and they have like the nicest divorce ever. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, so, but yeah, honestly, the problems that people have with it, I don't. I for me I love one I love whodunits in general which of course is like the screen movies you know as a whole yeah I love movies about Hollywood I love movies that can sort of sh that really kind of pull down the barriers in a way but they also kind of like play it a little tongue in cheek and I'm sorry it is just mathematically impossible for me to hate a movie with Parker Posey no she's the MVP no question like. She knows what movie she's in, and she's giving a performance, and she has a funny character, and she plays the hell out of it. And one of, one of my issues with the movie is that for as much as it wants to, like, be this Hollywood satire, it's not, it's, like, hardly satirizing anything. Um, I don't think it's meant to be a satire. I think it I mean, it's, it's a satire. I think there's parts of it that want to feel like a satire, but I think honestly, it's a pretty damning, damning condemnation of the Hollywood studio system. Yeah, I mean, except the, so it's got the stuff with Marie Prescott. It has something to say about Hollywood in that regard, 
the way that Hollywood kind of chews up and spits out these young actors. Um, and then it, Parker Posey's performance is sort of commenting on a specific type of actor, and it's commenting on Hollywood in that way. Beyond that, I just don't think the movie's interested in saying anything about Hollywood, and that is very frustrating to me because I feel like there's so many opportunities where it could have, and it just doesn't for me. Well, I think for me, and I think the one thing that um, that the screen movies always kind of got like judged about, especially early on, was the fact that like they built this cast around TV actors, which in the '90s and early 2000s that was considered a joke. Right. Like when you got right. you know Courtney Cox off of Friends and Nev Campbell from Party of Five, you know everybody was like, "Well, we can't take this movie seriously because it's a bunch of TV actors." So for me, I actually like in Scream 3, how they sort of throw all of these TV actors to, at you. You have Scott Foley. You have Dion Richmond. You have uh, Kelly Rutherford. You've got Parker Posey playing sort of this elevated version of a TV actress who hasn't been taken seriously for, for a long time from what you guess. You've got Jenny McCarthy, who literally at that point, other than being a horrible anti-vaxxer, <laughs> was only known because she was on Singled Out. You know what I mean? Right. And she'd been in Playboy. Like, so nobody took her seriously. And so to me, I think there's like something really interesting about how in a, in a way it actually explores the legacy of the screen movies through its cast. I don't remember, because I've never watched Grey's Anatomy, so I don't know if Patrick Dempsey was McDreamy at this point. He was not, I don't think. I don't think the show was on the air. So it was interesting in 2000 to see him pop up in a movie because he really hadn't been in much. I mean, he had been working consistently throughout the 90s, but like he had his big thing in the 80s and very early 90s, and then he kind of goes away and he's doing like straight-to-cable stuff, and he's like patient zero in Outbreak, but he's not in a ton of stuff, and then all of a sudden he gets like a major role in Scream 3, and he's an adult, and he's very handsome, and you're just like, well, where did this guy come from? Um, well, actually, he had done a bunch of TV movies in okay. the late 90s, okay. so maybe that might have been part of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I think your your wife is a huge fan of Can't Buy Me Love. She is, yeah. Yes. Um, I think actually he didn't, he, didn't he play, oh my God, what's the, the douchebag's name from the, from the original Fast Times movie? Because it was a TV show, right? He was Damone, yeah, on the Fast okay, Times yes. TV show. So, which is interesting. I also never realized um, that apparently, I think uh, Larry Cohen was one of the people that sort of discovered him because he was in the stuff. And I remember talking to Larry Cohen about that. He's in the stuff. Who is he in the stuff? He's like a kid who buys like the stuff, like from like like a like a dealer. Oh no, kidding. Yeah, he talked about that. I remember in, our, in an interview I did with him years and years and years ago. Probably was two thousand fifteen. I want to say because that would have been in time for the 30th anniversary. Okay. Um, yeah. And was Meatball? Was Meatball? He was he in three or four Meatball? Three, baby. I'm opening it up. Okay. I will like. Is that the oh, one? Oh, you don't with... need to. Don't worry. It's the one with Sally Kellerman as oh, the ghost okay. of a dead porn star who helps him lose his virginity. I literally just watched Meatballs three like three months ago oh, for my Shannon Tweed right? column. Yeah, exactly. Okay, because that's the one that, that that's not the Feldman one because Feldman always that's says he's not in four. Yeah. He always he always tries to tell people he's not in Meatballs four, and I was like, dude, I saw that movie. You are in that movie. 
Why do you think I watched Meatballs for? He even it has a funny line at the end where he turns to the camera and says, I was in the Goonies. Yeah. <laughs> He's definitely in Meatballs 4. Some of the best movies end with Corey Feldman turning to the camera and making <laughs> some sort of declaration. Ask the birds. <sighs> Ask Lawrence of Arabia. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he was in that. I'm pretty sure he was. <clears throat> so, but yeah, like, I, I get it. I, I get when people don't have don't love Scream 3. And I'm never going to try to push that Scream 3 is the best in the series or anything like that. Like, if I have to do an official ranking, Scream 3 is always at the end. But I love all the movies. Okay. Um, but the thing is, the, the issues that most people have with it, I don't. In fact, I'll tell you what. My biggest issue with Scream 3 is that they kill Cotton. Yeah, that's pretty lame. It is. Because, first of all... Who doesn't love 100% cotton? I think I, I've been begging Brian to make 100% cotton t-shirts for like <laughs> 10 years now. So I think I'm going to make them, make them, and then we can promote them. Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll work that out. But like for me, like this is a guy whose biggest fault in life is that he got mixed up with a married woman and then gets framed for her murder. And in pure 90s slash early 1000s, early 2000s fashion decides to like make a career out of something so negative that like literally he was like gonna die and like you can't fault him for that like he has notoriety and that what do you think culture was doing back then like he didn't actually do anything wrong as we you know especially in screen two he comes through right so like you know he has the right to be his like little c-level celebrity so his biggest sin is that like he just <clears throat> decided to become noteworthy on something for on like his own merits and then gets killed off because he doesn't know where Sydney was. And frankly, why would he know where Sydney is? So yeah, that to me honestly, I get more upset about Cotton dying than Randy. Uh yeah, I guess. I mean Because here's the thing, think about several more screen movies of Randy going on oh, yeah, and sure. on and on about movies. I think it's just because now social media exists. And every time I tweet about something, there's somebody in my mentions who has to like bring up a bunch of stuff that they think I don't know. But of course I know because I've <laughs> like, literally this is my life for 15 years now. And I appreciate the interaction, but there's a better way of saying it than be like, did you know? I mean, like, I would be like, how cool is it that blah, 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 blah. But it's like, well, how, like, well, you know, you know, you forgot to say that blah, blah, blah. And I'm right. like, no, I didn't. I just only have a hundred and what I, 280 characters or whatever the hell it is. You know, I'm like, yes, I'm well aware that like Chucky is hugely uh, popular in Japan. Thank you. <laughs> um, I get it. Didn't you know, though, that just putting anything out on Twitter is an invitation for everyone? I, you know. I have to remind myself that, like, I put this opinion out there. So. No, no, I ne- and that's the thing. Because social media is about interactions, I never, there's times where I really want to be smarky to people, yes. and I don't. Because, one, that's, it's, that's, that's not me. That's not who I am. But also because it is a conversation. I just wish people would learn how to frame things better that in a way that actually engages conversation than, rather than throwing a fact at you that is either trying to make you look stupid or like, you don't know what you're like in a way that's like not encouraging conversation. If that makes sense. Right. You know, I never discourage people from interacting with me on Twitter, like ever, like that's not who I am. I think I should discourage people. 
No, no, you got good tweets. No, I because I last night I put out something about Rob Zombie, and all day I've just oh, been dealing wow. with like. No, garbage director, garbage movies, bad take. Like, all right. I... Oh, well, you can't talk about Rob Zombie on social media. Haven't you learned that yet? Well, no, I guess not. How, da- how dare you love Lords of Salem, Patrick? <laughs> how dare I love pretty much all of his movies? Yeah. How dare I be super excited for the monsters? It was interesting. I was reading, um, I think Scott Derrickson, and we'll get back to Scream 3 in a second because I have a lot will to Will we? Okay. Oh, we will. <laughs> we will. Um but it was interesting because Scott Derrickson was talking about how people like to bag on critics about being too hard on movies or not seeing every, like just being too disseminating things like that. And honestly, like in the way he phrases it, the thing is like me as a critic, I go into every single movie wanting to love it. Of course. Like I'm, I'm there to wanting to wanting to be thrilled, excited, happy, elated, you know, why would you want I, to waste your time? Yeah, like why would I purposely want to go into a movie already thinking I'm going to hate it? Right. So I don't understand like this whole idea of like how critics like bag on movies and things like because like that's not what that's not what it is. And it's like and if I criticize a movie, like I love Screen Three, do I know it has problems? Of course I do. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I can't still love it. Like I can accept its 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 faults and its shortcomings but still really love it. Like, I don't think people understand, like, you know, we love other human beings, but we understand that they're not perfect. Right. Right. Like, right. So why would we think that the only way for us to love any form of art is to think that it's perfect? Like right. that's a stupid way of thinking. So anyway, well, so as you listen to this episode, listeners, keep this in mind because I will probably be presenting a different viewpoint, but at no point am I trying to talk Heather out of liking this movie. You are. It's okay, though. I promise I'm not. I'm glad that you love it. I like when people like things. Yeah, no, and, and believe me. And I get that I'm one of the few that will go to, like, go to bat for Scream 3. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, that's totally fine, because I know that it's, it's, Art, you know, and it's subjective, and you know, everybody <laughs> accepts things in different ways, you know. So my only hope is like that, like through our discussion, I'm never going to convince you it's your favorite screen movie ever. But I hope that maybe like in our discussion, it makes you think of things that maybe you weren't, like sure. the TV actors thing. Right, right, right. Because honestly, to me, like I remember seeing articles about Scream before it came out, where like they were just like. Wes Craven's doing a movie with a bunch of TV actors. Like, right. how great is this going to be? You know? I mean, I even think the crew... There was people on the crew who thought that when they were in production. You know? And because, like, at that point, you just didn't hire TV actors to do film. Right. Like, and then it, that, and then it became the standard of horror post-Scream. Yeah. <laughs> like, and now being a TV actor isn't detrimental Oh, no, at now all. you go from winning an Oscar to doing TV. Like, yeah. yeah, and you're like, whoa, oh, my God, <laughs> they've got a series now? Woo. Yeah, I just saw a commercial you know? the other day for some new ABC series starring Hilary Swank. I was like, she is a two-time what? Oscar winner. Yeah. Oh, my God, I rode in an elevator with her once. Okay. Um, I mean, I actually interviewed her at Sundance once, which was fun. It was actually after the elevator incident, but I was at the Four Seasons for a junket, 
And I get there and it's like her and her handler are waiting for the elevator. And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> so I'm just standing there and then the elevator door opens and they, they walk in and they're like, oh, come on. And I was like, oh no, no, that's okay. Cause I wanted to give her her space. Like she's Hillary freaking Swank. Right. Like the, the next karate kid can take her own elevator. It's cool. And she's like, no, no, come on, come on. And I was like, okay. And then I'm in an elevator with like her publicist, her and me. I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And then we're both going up like 10 floors because like everything is at the Four Seasons was press stuff happens like high up in the, the hotel, at least it used to when they had like real junkets. And we're just standing in there and we're waiting the elevator to come up. And I'm just feeling like the biggest thing. I just looked over and I was like, I was like, I just have to say like, I really loved you in the original Buffy movie. Yeah. And I was like, you were hilarious. And I, she was just like, oh my gosh. She's like, nobody ever talks about that. Thank you. And she's probably thinking like of all the movies <laughs> and things that I've done in my career, you bring up the Buffy movie where like I get knocked out after having sex with Buffy's boyfriend. Right. <laughs> but that's me. I could have talked about winning Oscars and all. No, you go straight to the Buffy. And boys don't cry. And I'm like, I go right to Buffy. <laughs> and then it was funny because then I saw her like the following January in Sundance for that mother movie she did for Netflix. And she was like, you look really familiar. Cause there's only like, like four of us journalists and her in the room. Okay. And she's like, you look really familiar. And I was like, I was in the elevator at the four seasons and I talked about <laughs> Buffy and she just started laughing and she's like, I remember that. Wow. And I was like, I was like, yeah, I felt really stupid. That's <laughs> pretty like, cool. No. So, but yeah, that's, that's me around celebrities where I'm just like, I'll find the most random weird thing to pluck out as a conversation piece. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like, so, I, you know, I, I don't even remember what we were talking about. Oh, like Hillary Swank doing TV. So yeah, I mean, it's like, it's a whole different culture now. Like Scream 3 now, like, and having a bunch of TV actors, it might be the most well-regarded horror movie ever, you know, based on today's standards. Right. So my, my, to go back to the cotton thing, part of my issue with the killing off of cotton, which I'm with you, I would have liked to have seen that character survive. I want to know about the stab game. Yeah. Like interact a little bit more. Uh, cause he's good in the movie. You know, the little bit he does in scream three, he's pretty great. And like, I like his weird tense relationship with Sydney. And, um, so I would have loved for him to survive. I don't like, I don't think it's a particularly well done set piece. I think it just cannot compare to the openings of the previous two movies, which, listen, they're, they're not all going to be that good. Those are both pretty outstanding sequences. So I recognize, like, okay, we got to, but even the opening of Scream 4 is, like, so much better. I don't think it's really well done. I'm not super concerned about his girlfriend because I literally just met her. It introduces the idea of the voice changer, and now it could be anybody's voice. And I feel like the actual implications of that are never really explored in the movie. Like, they use it a lot, and they fake voices a lot, but this idea that, like, oh, you can literally never trust the voice that you're hearing. They, they should have introduced that earlier, for sure. Yeah, like, like it's, it, when she... It, it doesn't get... We don't really find out about it until, like, Act three. So I totally get that. When she starts like whacking him with the whatever it was, a golf club or something, when he, you know, finally walks through the door, like that's kind of interesting that 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 Ghostface has like turned them against one another through the use of this voice changer. 
I don't want to see her stab him, but wouldn't that be more interesting that, like, she's so freaked out and tuned up that, like, she stabs him and all Ghostface did was, like, set that in motion. It's a new idea, um, but instead we just get sort of an uninspired kill sequence. Nope, I get it. And honestly, it's like the, the worst thing about it is like the whole thing is about like L.A. traffic, which is and it has totally a song. <sighs> I, I knew the Creed <laughs> thing was going to come up. Because this movie opens like I don't love that two ends with a collective soul song, but to open with a Creed song is like it's and like, it closes with Creed song. Yeah, I know. Oh, my gosh. Look, so here's the thing. Like, I'm never going to pretend that I didn't like Creed at some point. Because I'm not that good of a liar. But <laughs> I got so shamed about liking Creed by actually somebody that you know um, that I literally had to stop listening to them because oh, I, I, I was so is, embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. Like every day it was literally this person ragging on me about listening to Creed again. And huh. like, I get it. But like, you know, at the time, like especially the first album, like that was like a thing. And like we all we all have that like one little phase in our music loving journey that maybe we're not so proud of, but like it's just like I'm never gonna pretend that I didn't like Creed at some point, but I got heavily shamed out of liking them to I think the point that when Scream Three came out because I think I started listening to like ninety eight ninety nine, like I was already like oh my god Creed and it's it. it and is it really that bad? Like, it's not great. But when you talk about music in 2000, at least it's not Kid Rock. Right. You know? Right, yeah. I just, uh, Erica I and I just it, watched that, uh, the Netflix Woodstock, Woodstock 99 document. We had watched the HBO one, but now we watched the Netflix one. And you're really reminded of, like, what a dark time it was for music at the end of the 90s and the early 2000s. Yeah. So, like, I get it. But also, <laughs> like... I also know the feeling of being completely horrified and shamed every time I even tried to listen to it. So I just gave up on it. <laughs> and then it's like, and then that kind of makes me bummed because I'm just like, why, why do we do that to people? Right. And you know, then this person's a critic. So, you know, that's yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, again, now we just do it on social media. I put out that I love Rob Zombie and I have an onslaught of people telling me that I'm wrong to like him. It's the same thing. No. Love what you love. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, I'm never, like, here's the thing. When people come to me and I defend Scream 3 and somebody's like, Scream 3 sucks. I'm like, okay, sure. If that's how you feel, that's how you feel. I'm not going to agree with you. Right. And, you know, and I think it's it's such a terrible place to be where it's like, we're in such a position these days where, like, if somebody even expresses some nugget of happiness or, like, excitement over something, that, like, we will go and interject any sort of negativity we can to elicit a response. Of course. Because here's the thing, and I'm not saying you have to love everything, but, like, I've seen pl plenty of people talk about movies that they absolutely love on Twitter. I don't go in there and tell them that they're wrong, that they're stupid, that that movie sucks. I just move on because that's not my place. Like, I, I don't have to pretend that I like that movie, but I don't have to be a dick about it either. Right. You know? Right. So... Yeah, but yeah, and I think for me, like, I was okay with The Girlfriend because I love Melrose Place, and I remember Kelly Rutherford very fondly from Melrose Place. Okay. So for me, I was already connected to her because of Melrose Place, 
So for me, like Kelly Rutherford being in the opening, I was genuinely excited. Like I'm one of those people, like, for example, like the movie Smile is coming out and like, I'm probably one of the very few people who's like, oh my God, Judy Reyes is in it. Yes. Like, I love that kind of like casting. So like I, for me, Kelly Rutherford works, but I get why she doesn't for you because we don't get a whole lot of build up with her. She's basically in there to be like in the shower and again, it's one of those things like, you know, and I totally agree with what you say about the voice changing because like in that scene, we hear Cotton's voice and then it goes over to Ghostface voice, but we don't get any explanation of how or why. Right, right. And they really should have pushed that concept sooner because then we get it again later on, you know, when, um, oh my God, I'm totally blanking on what her character's name is. Um is it young woman? Oh. Is it reporter? Is it ex cop? <laughs> it is none of those. <laughs> um, it is uh, Sarah Darling. Because oh, she right. starts off talking to Roman Emily and then Mortimer. it turns into Ghostface. Right. Huh? Emily Mortimer? No, Jenny McCarthy. Oh, Sarah, Sarah Darling. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, Emily is uh, Angelina. Right. Yes. So, um, which I, honestly, I'm like, I really wish I could have talked to Emily Mortimer for Relic because I probably would have just asked her like a million questions about Screen 3. So maybe it's a good thing I didn't do that junket. She has nothing to do in this movie. I don't... I, I think for me she's almost like a like a red herring kind of character where you're ex, like you're just expecting her almost in a way to be the killer because she's like replacement Sydney, right? Right. Um, And then she ends up just kind of getting killed. But her, her delivery... Of the Milton line is like fantastic. She has good comedy chops. She did a run on Thirty Rock as this woman with avian bone syndrome. She has like bird bones. And... Oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, and she was hilarious on that show. Like she's a really good actor, and and just at this time like didn't have a lot to do. Wasn't a big name, you know. Um... No, this was like really early in her career. Like, yeah. and this might have been like her first like pretty solid movie role if I'm not mistaken like in terms of like maybe. being like an actual might, maybe like a character that we actually give a sh- like care about right because I remember her being she did a lot of sort- like British TV it looks like she shows up in the she, ghost in the darkness Hopkins she bump was, she was like a background character in Notting Hill I remember that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and then yeah Scream 3 is really her kind of Hollywood coming out party yeah, so, like, I can't hate it for that, because, like, obviously it led to her, like, having a much bigger career. God, I actually remember her being in Match Point, which I hadn't even thought about that movie in, like, forever. I for wonder why. All sorts of reasons. <laughs> Not a bad movie, just made yeah. by a bad person. I actually just looked, and I was like, oh, yeah, she lives in Lars and the Real Girl, too. That is kind of a bad movie, but... I remember kind of liking it, but it's I not the worst. That. It's not the worst. I rented it like when I was homesick, so I don't really remember it that much. But yeah, yeah, it's not the worst. Yeah, so but we know she's good in Relic. Yes, for sure. No, she's really good. You know, um, she's just not that great here, and and I just I don't feel like anybody really shines outside of like the core cast is good. David Arquette is always good. Courtney Cox is always good. I think Nev Campbell is really 
giving her all um and parker posey you know and like there's a bunch of people that i'm happy to see show up like i'm happy to see lance henriksen show up in a movie but does he like pop off the screen no not really i i don't agree (laughs) (laughs) that's fine i really like dion uh richmond in this just because you know yeah you know his his legacy in terms of you know how he kind of became sort of well known in and the show we don't really talk about anymore. <laughs> See um, our I, previous discussion on Match Point. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely adore Patrick Warburton in this, who also, again, comes from TV. Yeah. Um, you know, I again, I love Parker Posey in this. I don't even hate the Jay and Silent Bob thing. I know that's a huge thing that everybody likes to piss on. I don't really care. And also... Again, it's mathematically impossible for me to hate a movie where Carrie Fisher is bagging on Carrie Fisher. (laughs) Like, to me, that scene alone, I'm just like, oh, my God, we have Parker Posey and Carrie Fisher, like, in this, like, little, having this little moment. Right. And then she's, like, talking shit on George Lucas. Like, (laughs) come on. I read that she, like, made, wrote most of her own dialogue. Yes. That is, that is, uh, I remember... I saw somebody actually asked Wes about it at a screening for something else. It wasn't a screen movie. I might have been when I saw People Under the Stairs and Serpent Under the Rainbow, like shortly after I moved here. And I think somebody asked him, like, how was it to work with Carrie Fisher in Scream 3? And I remember him saying something to that effect. Okay. So, but that was like 13 years ago. But I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said she was amazing and that she pretty much did her, she basically just wrote all her stuff. Yeah. Like I think she, I think she looked at the script and was like, "I'm not doing this," and then did her own thing. <laughs> Good for her. Which, which sounds exactly like Carrie Fisher right. that you would hope, right? Right. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, and I mean, it like introduces Martha Meeks into the whole mix, who then pops up and screams 2022. Which I will say, uh, I like when she shows up in Scream 2022. Because I feel like it redeems her showing up in Scream 3. I think her showing oh, up totally. in Scream 3 is so terrible and is so, like, embarrassingly, like, just, I miss you guys in Woodsboro. And then we watch a tape of Randy. It's I, I think all that stuff is so poorly handled. But then when she shows up in 2022, I'm like, hey, way to pay it off. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't disagree with you there. Because, one, also, is there, like, no security on the studio lot like how would she even get in there she's in her own trailer yeah like how does she like how does that bitch have a trailer <laughs> um there's just like oh hi random girl would you like a trailer <laughs> like wouldn't she go to straight to the police department before she would show up at the studio no i gotta show you guys this tape from a few years ago yeah so you know i feel like that's something she would have revealed before right um you know but I, it's fine and she has like weird glasses. And she, I when I interviewed her for when I uh, did a piece on Hostel Two, yeah, um, she actually kept all her wardrobe and her glasses, which oh, I nice. thought was fun. Yeah, she's really so. good in Hostel Two. She's amazing. Yeah, that scene's hard to watch. Uh yeah, horribly <laughs> hard to watch. Yeah, um, and she was, she was in it. Yeah, like that was that was not, that was that was all happening in that moment. <laughs> um. But yeah, like I get it, but at the same time, I'm just like, it's it's not enough to derail the movie for me. 
No, you know what I mean? Like that's the thing. Like nothing single-handedly derails the movie for me. It's just a lot of bad choices. Most of them screenwriting choices. I can't blame most of the choices on Wes. Although I would say he feels way less dialed in here than in any of the other screen movies that he made. It feels like franchise fatigue from him. Yeah. But also, who knows, like, what kind of bullshit he was dealing with. Right. With the producers Absolutely. at this point. Absolutely. And I know he was, you know, a little bit disheartened about the experience of music from the heart and having that recut and having it not be commercially successful. And it's like, okay, back to horror, I guess, you know. Yeah. Yeah, like, and I, and I know a lot of people have issues with the killer in this, um, which is funny because for so long, I always said that it should have been Kincaid, Mark Kincaid, as the killer, because it really made the most sense. Like, he's a guy who's lived in Hollywood, been studying the system. Of course, he gets into law enforcement, because how else would he be able to find out about his real mom and all that kind of, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it made sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense um but then it ends up being you know roman bridger um and of course now we find out in screen 2022 that sydney and mark gets married and have a family now so like now i can't think it's mark anymore because now <laughs> i know she got the happy ending with mcdreamy so right. like, good for her good for her so now i'm like every now it's like after seeing screen 2022 now i can't even watch the movie and be mad that it's not mark right because i was like well no because now she's happy and has a life and a family and you know okay um but yeah i know a lot of people have problems with it um i don't i mean one like i was hugely into felicity as a teenager so the fact that scott foley was in this was like hello thank you (laughs) um you know and this was like before the the cooper scooper like blew up too which is kind of interesting because he's more seems more typical leading man kind of guy. Right. Um, and I kind of like, like, I actually think there's a lot that Scott Foley's really, he's like very subtly funny in this where he's just like, you know, when he's, he freaks out about like the, the statue, this thing is, he's like, you don't think this is a message? Um, or like when he's like talking about like in the, he, him and Lance Henriksen are talking about him and Milton are talking about like the whole, thing about like him being accused and he was just like oh you think it could help my career and then he's like talked about turning 30 and how tragic that was which now i'm like oh boy you have no idea <laughs> um i actually think Scott Foley's really good in this and i don't have a problem with it being roman because i feel like at this point it really is sort of the conclusion of the maureen prescott story because the thing is it's like there really was a lot that we still didn't know about like who maureen was and i think for a lot of us girls who sort of had to deal with complicated moms mine not being nearly as complicated but she's got her own things going on um you know i get it like there's things about this that i really appreciate in terms of sydney still dealing with the reconciling like just who her mother was and how it's affected her life and how it just won't go away until she deals with it here but don't you feel like if none of the Maureen Prescott stuff was in this movie, would you really have missed it? Don't you feel like we found out everything that we needed to know in the first movie in terms of how it affected 
the events of that movie. Like it's fine that they that they include no, it all. I'm not I'm not even criticizing like adding a bunch of Maureen Prescott backstory because they again in that scream tradition kind of call attention to that in Jamie Kennedy's lame videotape where he says if you find yourself dealing with a preponderance of backstory you're in a trilogy. That I get like that works as being self-aware and that I think excuses a lot of the Maureen Prescott stuff. What I don't like is when he keeps, we'll go back to Maureen Prescott, but everyone just keeps talking about, like, it's a trilogy, all bets are off. And it turns out, like, no bets are off. Like, nothing major happens. There's not even any, like, I guess that Sydney has a brother. Okay, well, half-brother. Yeah, and I, I, and I get it. But also, at the same time, it's like, I think because we never really see, like, in two, Sydney just kind of goes away to college, and she starts dating a guy, and she's like, you know, at the beginning of the movie, still pretty okay. Like, she's, you could tell there's trauma, but it doesn't seem to be affecting her the way it's, it's affecting her in three. Yes. And think about the shit that she's lived through, through yes. both of these movies now, where, like, she doesn't know who to trust anymore. Like, honestly, the whole root of, of this this issue was the shit that her mom was doing. And, like, how does that keep hanging over her? Um, and, you know, I think that there's something interesting to be said about, like, you know, I, I don't think a lot of times parents really understand, like, how just, like, little minute things could, you know, have these ripple effects that happen for decades after. You know, and I'm sure when Sydney's mom was out getting her some, like, <laughs> she wasn't thinking about, like, how this was going to affect her daughter in 10 years or something like that. Or, you know, like, the fact that, like, basically her having an affair was going to be, like, national news. Right. Because no, you never think about things like that. But this is stuff that like Sydney's had to live with. Like there's a notoriety that comes with being the daughter of Maureen Prescott. And like, and especially when Maureen Prescott initially was somebody who apparently was out there looking to be famous mm -hmm. and looking to sort of be notable and ended up sort of having that dream taken away from her, you know, through some very terrible things. And then basically ended up giving up a kid, you know, in, in the wake of it all. Right. It's none I of it, it. None I of it. None of it ruins the movie for me. Honestly, like I said, it's just a series of decisions that, like, I'm just the not super Marine into. Stuff I'm not. The ghost marine stuff for me is a little. It's it's a little more than I need because I yeah. think that for me the the joy of the screen movies is that they you know they 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 tell they don't always have to show. And I think the more that they show, the less effective it gets, if that makes right. sense. I do love the sequence, and they kind of mess it up by doing it twice, because once they have Gail show up to the Woodsboro set and go like, oh my gosh, like, and it steps on the toes a little bit of the sequence where Sydney comes back to the Woodsboro set. It should have been Sydney interacting with Stu's house for the first time. It's pretty amazing. Like, it's probably the best moment in the movie, um they should have gotten rid of the stuff with Gail interacting with it and it would have been so much more powerful, but whatever. They should have had her outside of the sound stage or something. Yeah. Because think about it. It's, it's literally the worst night of Sydney Prescott's, well, probably second, I don't know, is it worse the night that your mother gets killed or the night where you almost get killed and you have to kill your boyfriend <laughs> right. and retaliate? Like, it's, either way, it's a shit show, right? Right. But that that should have been Sydney's moment. Yeah. And I, and I totally agree with you on that. And I think it does sort of water down that reaction. But think about like her and them over, where she's like, "Oh, 
because I, I imagine she's not somebody who's been watching the stab movies. I assume not. <coughs> it always kind of bothered me that this was the production of Stab Three and not Stab Two. I don't know well, why. <laughs> well, it's been a few years. Yeah, I guess it's fine. And it you doesn't know how, again how quickly sequels come out. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't ruin the movie for me. I, it occurred to me watching it today that I was like, oh, so this is there really are. Like, I like her working as a crisis counselor. I like that she has to come back. But then they kind of do the same thing in four, and then they kind of do the same thing in five. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so it's always about, like, there's killings going on. Sydney has to come back. They just need, And I also realized in the sequence where, at the very end of the movie, where Dewey proposes to Gail, I was like, we've never seen them. They've never had a movie where they are functioning as a couple. Well, we kind of get to set. Well, they they talk about their lives in between two and three. Right, but they never we're like, are like a functioning couple in a movie. It's always like, no, we split up, and then we're seeing each other again for the first time. It, it can't be that big of a deal because it never occurred to me until this viewing. But I was like, oh, this series is doing the same beats a lot. No, I get it. Um, and but I think that sort of shows the turmoil. And I think honestly, like. I know that the ending of Scream 3 is really sappy, but, like, I'm okay with it because I generally, at this point, I've been through three movies with these three characters, and I genuinely, as a fan, I want good things for them. Yes, like, I agree with because that. Because I care, you know what I mean? Like, and as far as we knew, it was going to be the last one. Yeah, because that was kind of the, the plan. Right. Um, I actually, if, if I want, if I'm, I feel like, Early on when Scream 4 was announced, I don't even think they were going to have the original cast back. I think it was supposed to be all of the young people. Yeah. Like, I don't, I think, I think Dewey was in it because he was the sheriff, but I don't even think Gail was in it. And I don't, and I don't think Sydney was either, if I'm not mistaken. And then I, re- I think they realized, like, oh my God, how do we make a Scream movie without Sydney? Which <laughs> obviously Scream 6 learned that lesson. Yeah. Whoops. Whoopsie doodle. Um, <laughs> you know. So, but it's like, again, I know it's kind of, it's, it's a really cheesy thing, but like, I actually love the proposal moment because when you look at Arquette and, and Courtney looking at each other in that moment, because at that point they're married and like, there is like a genuine affection and I still am super bummed that they, they split up, but they seem to be still like best friends, which I just think is so amazing. Um, and really supportive of each other but like you genuinely look at them and you're just like it's the first time i genuinely feel like gail and dewey are in love right and that they're like they're because you know we get the little the flirtation in one two they're kind of back and forth but they want to jump each other but this one i'm just like that moment for me i'm just like oh i want it to work for them and i will say well of course we'll talk about this when we get to four but that's one of my biggest bummer moments and four was just to see the division between Gail and Dewey because I just I felt like it just didn't need to be that way yeah but I also know how when like for Gail the frustration of your professional career kind of being stuck in the mud and how that can parlay into your professional relationships I get it um and then the fact that that ends up not working out for them in screen five you know, and they're both have moved on at that point. Like, I think that's what makes the things that happen in Scream 5 even the more heartbreaking. So. Yeah, 5 kind of handles it the best, I think. In terms of dealing with the fact that they're just 
so opposite, but they do it in a way that like doesn't feel totally contentious, but it doesn't sugarcoat it either. Right. So I also feel like we should do an addendum Craven Craven on Screen Five, but we already did Screen Five for Corpse Club. Did we really? So I think we did. Didn't we? <laughs> I have no memory of that. I have, I don't know what's happened this year. I can't even believe we're like mid August almost at this point. Who knows? <sighs> I feel like we did it. I don't know if we did. Could you have done it with I, the other people? Maybe what? Well, maybe I wasn't on it. No, I feel like there's nobody I would have talked to about Scream than you. <laughs> That's crazy. If I and did I, a whole and I show on it, a disrespect. But yeah, I'm pretty sure we did Scream Five. It's Scream possible. Yeah, I have no I think idea. We did. Okay. I think we did. So I don't remember yeah, spending like, that much time talking about that movie. Yeah, I think we did. This whole this whole year's been a dream at this point. <laughs> so, but like. I, I get the issues, but like there's just something about that final shot where Sydney watches the door open. And again, I know it's hokey. It's a lifetime movie moment. But like the shit that this girl has been through at this point in her life, like she deserves that. She yeah. deserves to look over and for the first time probably in years actually feel safe and that she's part of something that like isn't trying to kill her. Right. So, I don't know. Like I, like I, like I said, I will never try to convince somebody that Scream Three is the the best of the sequels because I don't believe that. But I still think it's a really great sequel that just because it's up against Scream One and Scream Two and Scream Four, like it can't compete. But that doesn't mean that it's still not solid and fun. So. Yeah, I, I just I I I wish I liked it more. I find the cast disappointingly sort of generic. I mean, I'm thinking of uh, Patrick Warburton is fine, but he always does the same thing. Jenny McCarthy like is. But in sort 2000, of, was it the same thing? Uh, no, not because Potty because Potty was kind of like very not connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where where you know he's a little more snarky in this and much more direct. Yeah. Like, Jenny McCarthy, I, I, I feel like, should have been... Would I hire Stephen Stone? Yes, I would. <laughs> he's not a great security guard. I mean, he's better. I mean, technically, he's better than Dewey. I suppose. I do like the moment <laughs> where Parker Posey, like, climbs on him. Yeah. <laughs> when she has a cigarette in her mouth and she just swings her legs up. Oh, I want that as an like a, a figure that I can put on, like, a mantle <laughs> or something. It's unfair to want everyone to be working at the level of Parker Posey. Like, I recognize that that's unfair. But oh, yeah, no, totally. When you see somebody who's, like, so dialed in and is so carving out her own space to create a character, and then you have, like, Matt Kiesler or even Jenny McCarthy, who's just coasting on, like, sort of the stunt casting, which reeks a little bit of, like, See Paris Die, but I feel like even See Paris Die had more fun with it. And Jenny McCarthy, not that, like, we all are just wanting Jenny McCarthy to die, but just the the stunt casting of it... I don't think pays off. I get it, but I think it, it, she's like the Tory spelling of this movie. Like, I don't think we're right, supposed, but they you know did that I mean? like, joke. I don't know. I mean, I just I find the characters a little bit generic, and it feels. I mean, it's certainly like it has the highest body count, right? Does it? I don't. I've never counted, but a lot of people get killed in this either. movie. 
I appreciate that there's only one killer. Yep. Uh, we get a huge house explosion. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so you know, you don't the, get hit very the, often. Between the sort of uh, disposable cast, for me, uh, and Wes Craven not on his A game and a script by Aaron Kruger. I just, there's so much about it that doesn't work for me that I can't come around to liking it. I've come around a lot on Scream 4, which we'll get to, obviously. Um, I appreciate it a lot more than I used to, and a lot of that is due to you. (laughs) So I will have lots of positive things to say about Scream 4. I don't think it's, like, a great movie, but I would put it ahead of 3 if I was ranking them, I just, I can't bring myself around on this one. And I try. It's okay. Would it help though, if you had a t-shirt that said she was working on a movie called stab, she was stabbed. Would that <laughs> I help? Do like that delivery Josh by Josh yeah. Pace of music of the heart fame. Yes. And voice of Raphael fame, as we discovered on the last episode of Craven Craven. <laughs> Like yeah. literally, we will. We that's like if there's one, if there's one line that we quote from Scream Three a lot, it's that one. Yeah. Like, yeah. we'll just say it randomly. It doesn't even like re- like related to anything going on. Uh, you know, we will literally just be like, she's working on a movie called Stab. She was stabbed. <laughs> like it just that that comes out. So if nothing it's a else, good line. I like the dynamic between him and and McDreamy. Like he's just over everything, and McDreamy is like playing cop and really enjoying himself. Yeah, that stuff works. I like Roger Corman showing up. You know, again, course, it's who not doesn't, who doesn't love Roger Corman showing up in like a in a horror movie, right? It is not a movie with with nothing going for it. It just never comes together in a way that's satisfying to me. And honestly, I am bothered. I know you said you're not, and that's totally fine. I am bothered by the Jay and Silent Bob cameo because I just feel like it says, fuck it. (laughs) You know, it's just this big shrug of like, oh, yeah, we're not even pretending to be real anymore. Well, like, first of all, I mean, the first Clerks movie is like makes an appearance in Scream. Because it's on, it's Which next is to Randy's TV. Um, I, I think for me, because wasn't that around the same time that Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back was filming? Yeah, I think that I came out say. in 2001, but I'm it sure did, that... It came out like right after my, uh, when I was on my honeymoon, because that was like the first movie I came back and saw. Okay. Um, after that. Um, I just, I, I, I get it. Yeah. I totally get it. Yeah. It doesn't bother me. No. Yeah. No, I just I'm I I can't get mad at like Kevin Smith just showing up in a movie randomly. Uh, normally I wouldn't either if he wasn't playing that character. If Kevin Smith showed up in the movie and Jason Mewes, like as security guards, fine. But the fact that they're Jay and Silent Bob, fictional but what characters if from the movie Bob Clerks, as security guards. No. No, that, no, I wouldn't do it for you. No. Hmm. I saw Clerks 3, by the way. No, you didn't. I did. I'm not allowed to talk about it yet, but when we get off mic, I'll talk about it. Shut up. How did you see Clerks 3 already? I got a screener for it. You son of a bitch. Yeah. Oh, I am so angry at you now. I'm sorry. Yeah, you should be. Now we're going to fight. Oh, shit. Now it is on. That's it. (laughs) 
I'm getting into my car. I'm coming to Chicago. That's we fine. are going to throw down. Then my plan worked. No, we're going to watch Clerks 2 or Clerks 3. You, you better tell Eric to start making some plans because I don't know if you're going to make it out of this. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I get it. And I think also, too, one of the things that, you know, and it's, again, I think one of the things that Scream 3 had to, to deal with was we were living in a, in a post-Columbine society. So I think having a movie about kids in high school or kids in college, killing other kids in high school and kids in college, I don't think that would have flown. To be really honest. No, it very specifically didn't, and that's why it was moved to Hollywood, and the producers were urging Wes Craven to not show any of the killings, not have any blood in the movie, and Wes Craven had to push back and say, like, we're we're being held to a certain standard here, so if I'm going to make a Scream movie, it has to be a Scream movie. And uh, But I would say most of the killings are pretty uninspired not that like scream has ever been about the kills because i don't think it has been but uh i i they all feel a little uh again i just it doesn't feel like Wes craven's heart is in crafting the best possible sequences you know i mean the dude is probably tired at this point you know absolutely and, and he had to look, work with an Aaron Kruger script. Look, there's sometimes, like, I put out an article and I'm like, yeah. And there's sometimes where I'm like, well, I got that done. <laughs> right. And I can I can admit it. Um, but it was interesting. I actually, um, I read, um, because I usually don't do this because I'm like, I don't usually care that much. Um, but I was actually reading an old interview that Kevin Williams had did. Uh, with Entertainment Weekly, probably like about a decade ago now or so, um, where he was talking about like what the original Scream 3 was. Did you read this at all? I did not. Okay. So originally, the the original Scream 3, and you can actually see sort of parts of this in Scream 4, but for me, what was really interesting, is, and we'll get to it, is like it reminded me of one of my other like all-time favorite movies. But apparently, um, there was like this story where basically... It was happening, this, everything was happening in um, Woodsboro. And so basically, the, it revolved around um, the idea of a stab fan club. And they're like, they're the ones who are going out and killing people uh, or killing each other. And, but at the end, when like Sydney shows up, it re- it's revealed that actually nobody died. It was them just sort of like, play acting like what it would be like to be in a stab movie. And I was like, I was like, so he was remaking April fool's day. Right. Which is amazing. Yeah. I would have liked that a lot better because it's something totally different. Yeah. But you can kind of see the, the sort of that parlays a bit into scream four. Right. You know, which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah. for Um, sure. But again, like, I don't know if, culturally like America would have sat through a movie where a bunch of teenagers are hunting each other down. Definitely. You know, less than a year after what happened, you know? Yeah. And then oops, haha, we're joking. Like that, then it almost feels like you're like negating the the heaviness of what, 
those kids went through. So I, it's, you know, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing, you know? Yeah. yeah for I mean, sure. you know, look, look at, look at 24 post nine 11. Right. You know, they had to hold that for a few weeks because, and I don't even think the first episode of 24 did all that well. I think it was one that it still took a few weeks till the show, like got its like core audience. Because I think people weren't really ready to go watch a big 24 episode TV series about terrorism. Right, right. You know, so it's 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 tough. But yeah, I, when I I read that uh, and I was like, oh snap! I was like, I would watch Kevin Williamson doing his April Fool's Day yeah. any day of the week. Yeah. So. But yeah, I mean, like, look, I know I'm I'm in the minority on this movie, and I'm okay with it. And it's like, and at every point you've brought up is valid. But you know, God help me, I still love it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, okay I I would never know. dream out of I would never dream of trying to talk you out of that, you know. But yeah, and it's okay that you don't. Right. Like we're still gonna be horror BFFs. Right, and there's four other four other screen movies for me to watch one two three four yeah i can watch four yeah. other screen movies you can and i'm you know mixed on most of them except for the first one so what a, what a way to live patrick <laughs> it's a wild man it's terrible what is our next craven craven are we up to red eye I think we are i think we are we? too i'm looking it up for sure because i don't remember but i think we're up to red eye Oh, oh, well, no, 2005, no, no, we're no, not. We're not. Oh, son of a bitch. Oh, no, we're not. We are We are ready. Because I, I forget they came out the same year. They sure did. Oh, boy. Do, do we start putting in movies that Wes Craven presented to? Because we feel like we should have Dracula 2000 in here somewhere. Uh, don't make me rewatch Dracula 2000. Oh, man. I, I love that goofy-ass movie. I it's haven't terrible. seen it since the day it opened. So It's terrible, but yeah. I love it. I remember like, vitamin a, C being in it. That's it. Um, I just remember it was like Gerard Butler's uh, is Dracula, Dracula, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, early Gerard Butler before he was all uh, three hundred Gerard Butler. Right. Although no, nothing beats Dennis Eve's Gerard Butler in my book. Uh, I would agree with that. Man, how good is Dennis Eve? I love <laughs> Dennis Eve. I don't give a shit that it is a riff on every other crime thriller ever. Yeah. I don't care. I no, don't care. It's very, very watchable. Oh my god! Yes, that's that's probably the the most rewatched non genre movie of the last ten years in our house. Really? Yeah, that one gets a. We watch it at least probably twice a year, at least. Yeah, it's a fun. Yeah, one. I'm 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 ready for Dennis Eve too. I can't believe they're making me wait this long. I know it's kind of bullshit. It is. It is total bullshit. Yeah, it's gonna get. So you're gonna have to get through Curse, but then there's Red Eye. But then there's and then Red we're gonna Eye. have to get through My Soul to Take. But then there's Scream Four. But then there's Scream Four. Oh man, I can't believe we're on our final four. Yeah, that's wild. And one of them is cursed. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. And you know me, I'm somebody who loves to find the good things to say about it. But I I don't see I don't see cursed in theaters. I rented cursed. I did see it in theaters. I did not see my soul to take in theaters. Okay, that one I did. Like so, like, but I honestly I don't even remember my soul to take because I was really drunk. I'll okay. be honest. It's not great. I really don't remember. Okay, 
I don't remember loving it, but I don't remember thinking it was like the worst either. I was just like, oh, okay. Oh no, it's super. I was like, uh, I was like where's the bar? <laughs> there should be a lot to talk about because it's super <laughs> weird. Like it's a it's a crazy movie. I'm actually kind of excited to revisit it now because I feel like I probably will take it in a lot more one because I don't drink anymore really. Right. Um, but two, like just to like sort of have a little like distance. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And because Wes Craven wrote it, you know, and it's his first original screenplay in a long time. So. Oh, boy. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get get crazy for Cursed next time. We're getting crazy for Cursed next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, Heather, for talking Scream 3 with me. Thank you. She was stabbed. Bye, everybody.